Last week, we took a, a look at chapter one and the majority of chapter two. We're going to finish uh, chapter two and jump into half of chapter three today. But as, we've, as we go through Exodus these next four weeks, five weeks in total, uh, I really hope that we can um, really identify three things each time as we study the text. And I'm gonna throw, we're going to throw those up on the board again. Uh, we took a look at these last week, but we're going to be doing the same thing today. First one being is that we're going to have a window into God's character. If you remember last week, we focused a ton on, we saw a lot of God's character in those first two chapters, but we really focused in on uh, this God of compassion. And I want to share a verse with you that I didn't share last week, a couple of verses, that's found later in Exodus that speaks to the character of God. And God is speaking this of himself to Moses. In Exodus 34, it says... And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. I love that he starts off highlighting his character of compassion, which, which is what we, again, focused on last week. Again, we also took a look at Isaiah 14.1, and it says, The Lord will have compassion on Jacob once again. He will choose Israel and will settle them in on their own land. Last week, again, we saw that there was oppression that was taking place to the Israelite people. And what the Lord, what God wanted them to encounter and experience more than anything else was the compassion that he had for him. For them to experience justice. But again, we took a look at the importance of our, our fight for justice to be fueled by compassion. So again, we saw that character of God last week. Number two, I hope each week that... We will understand how much Exodus points us to Christ and to the gospel. There are countless things that we took a look at this week. We'll see it again tonight. And the third and final thing, it'll give us a God-shaped mission. The scope of our mission should reflect what God's mission looks like. And again, last week, we took, we took a look at, at, at God and Moses, him choosing Moses, someone who also had a heart for justice, to fight the injustices that we face in the world today. I apologize. I'm facing a pretty nasty uh, head cold, so bear with me. But let's, uh, let's jump into uh, tonight's text. Y'all ready? Let's do this. Yes. I got one yes. Praise the Lord. We got one. That's what we need. <laughs> Let me pray, though. Lord Jesus, again, we thank you for your word. Lord, I know that you ask us to never be lacking zeal, and you want us to keep our spiritual fervor serving, Lord serving you, Lord. And so I just ask that the text, the word tonight, will give us a zeal and a passion to serve you. Empower us with your word. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, this won't be up on the screen, but you can open up your Bibles or your phones to chapter 2 in Exodus. We're going to start in 23. We're going to go all the way to verse 15. All right, chapter 2, 23. During that long period, so the period that they're speaking of is Moses has fled Egypt, and he's settled in the land of Midian. And so during this long period of time that Moses has been in Midian, which has been 40 years. So he had 40 years in Egypt. Now there's 40 years that he's been in Midian. And so it says, during that long period, so 40 years, the king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out, and their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. Let's pause right there. 
You remember the four main ways that the Israelite people were being oppressed. Let's shout them out. Anyone remember the four main ways? Political, Political, right. What else? Economic. Economic. Social. And last one? Spiritual. Spiritual. Thank you. So we recognize that this oppression has been taking place, right? And so the Israelite people are, are crying out to God. They're groaning to him. Verse 24. God heard their groaning and remembered his covenant with Abraham. Again, the Abrahamic covenant. Anyone remember the three things that the Abrahamic covenant focuses on? Let's shout them out again. Land, the promise of land. What else? The promise of what? Blessing and redemption to all people through the descendants of Abraham, which kind of leads into the, the third and final one. The, yeah, many, many descendants. So we got these three promises that are found in the Abrahamic covenant, this unilateral covenant that was made between God and Abraham. Um, Joseph's um, great-grandfather, which we talked about last week. Anyways, let's jump into this then. So God looked down on the Israelites and was concerned about them. Chapter 3. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro. I love that Moses is a shepherd. And I love that he's not even shepherding his own flock. He's been humbled to the point of shepherding his father-in-law's flock. And I love how it says in Scripture that, man, pride leads to destruction, but humility leads to honor. And I think this is one of the reasons we see the faithfulness of, of Abraham being honored by God because of this level of humility that ascended on, on him during his time in Midian. So now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. He led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God, which is believed to be where he ended up settling where he got the Ten Commandments from God, which is interesting. There the angel of the Lord, in verse 2, appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight. Why does the bush not burn up? When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, hey, Moses. <laughs> and Moses said, hey, yeah, here I am. <laughs> and to show the gap between the holy God and a sinful human being, God says here in verse 5, do not come closer, take off your sandals, for the place where you're standing is holy ground. It is only through Jesus that we can draw near to God, and this has not yet happened. Check out Hebrews, Hebrews 10, 19 through 23. So again, God's telling him, you cannot come in my presence. I am a holy God. You're a sinful man. And we cannot come into his presence until Christ, right? So check out Hebrews 10, 19 through 23. It says, therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place, which was a place where only the high priest could have entered at that time, by the blood of Jesus, by, the, by a new and living way, open for us through the curtain that is his body. And since we have a great priest, which is Christ, over the house of God. So the atonement of our sins has been covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. Let us draw near to God then with a sincere heart. Because this has taken place, we now can go into the presence of God. With a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having a heart sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience. So the verdict is no longer death, but it's eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And having our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. 
For he who promised is faithful. How many of us need reminded of that tonight? How many of us? For he who has promised is faithful. For he who has promised is faithful. For he who has promised is faithful. In your doubt, in your fear, in your unknowing, in your worry, in your sin, in your depravity, in whatever it may be, know that he is faithful to what he has promised. I believe we need to be reminded of that tonight. Let's jump back to the text here. So we saw verse 5, do not come any closer. God said, take off your sandals for the place where you're standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Pretty much saying, I am the God of the Abrahamic covenant. I am the God who is faithful to what I have promised. For he who has promised is faithful. What I love about these 18 verses that we look at tonight, in these 18 verses we look at tonight, there are five reminders that God gives Moses of the Abrahamic covenant, saying, I have promised you this, and I am faithful. Again, I believe we need to hear this message tonight. And at this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. He recognized that this was the God that gave the Abrahamic covenant that gave this unilateral covenant to Abraham. He is standing in the presence of God. And there's this reverent sphere that he has. Verses 7 through 10, we're going to take a look at this incredible commission. 7 through 10. So let's take a look at these four verses. Verse 7. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them out of the land into the good and spacious land. Again, the Abrahamic covenant, a land flowing with milk and honey, a land that represents salvation. The home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, Jebusites, and now the cry of Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. Again, four main ways that they were oppressing them. It was horrific. It was demonic. So now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. So again, we see a commission in these four verses. And there's three parts to this commission that I want us to understand. The first one is we see God's motive. It says, I have observed, I have heard, I know about their sufferings. The Israelites' cry has come to me. I have seen the oppression. God is close to the brokenhearted. He is saying, I see the injustice, and I am a God of compassion. And I want to see this injustice. I want to see this wrong be made right. I love how it says in Psalm 34, 18, that the Lord is close to the brokenhearted, and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. And I love how it goes on in verse 19. It says, the righteous person may have many troubles, but the Lord delivers him from them all. So on the day of the Lord, when we die or when he comes back, all of these are wiped away. We do not have to face any of them again. Praise the Lord for that. And that ties so well into the second part of the commission that we see in these four verses. The second one is God's purpose. His purpose, again, is to transfer his people 
to the land of Canaan, the, the Canaan, the promised land, this land that represents salvation, to fulfill again the Abrahamic covenant, to fulfill the promise that he has made. So we see God's purpose in that. So we see motive, purpose, and finally, God's plan. So after revealing his great purpose of redemption, God told Moses to plan. He said, it's you. He says, I am ascending God, and I send you. It blows my mind. Again, we talked about last, last week, we took a lot of different, how there was a lot of themes that we saw, just not in Exodus, but it's seen throughout the Bible. This is a theme that we see time and time and time and time again in Scripture, that God is ascending God, that he sends us out. That just to name a few, Joseph, Elijah, Jeremiah, Jonah, the disciples, Paul, Barnabas, and even Jesus. Check out Luke 4, familiar passage. Luke 4, Jesus speaking the words found in Isaiah 61. We know this well. It's been shared a lot. But Jesus says, one of his first words during his, his ministry on earth, says, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And what I love about this, one of his first messages and his ministry on earth was this message that I've been sent out to be a God of justice. Remember we talked about this last week? The arm of justice being Christ and the cross, the message of the gospel and acts of justice. And he says, I'm about this. I've been sent out to be this person. And again, hopefully that's a reminder that we should fight for the justice that needs to take place in the world today. Um. What is crazy to me when I think of this part of the commission, of God's plan using Moses, if we were to look at verse 8 again, Moses says that, so I have come down to rescue. So he's saying, I have come down to rescue. But then in verse 10 again, he says, but I'm using you. So now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. This doesn't make sense, but it makes sense all at the same time. It's a paradox to me. He says, I'm coming down to rescue, but I'm using you. So why? We've talked about this. Kimball's talked about this. Chris has talked about this. Jordan, anyone has taught up here, I feel like has talked about this at some level. I know I've taught about it. But I think, again, it's worth hearing why it is that he sends us out. And there's many things that we could talk about that we could highlight. But I think it's important to highlight the most important thing in it all. If we were to look at John 13... And we know this passage well, where Jesus is getting ready to wash his disciples' feet. At the beginning of that text, it says, Jesus was wanting to show the full extent of his love, or better translation, to show the full extent of his love all the way to the end. Meaning, he wanted to express his love to his disciples and to the people until he ascended back to the Father. And if you think about the last thing that Jesus did before he ascended to heaven, was he told the disciples, and again, if you think about this, I've said this before, Jesus is ascending up to heaven. There's a party that's about to be had. He's at the pearly gates. The heavenlies are waiting for him. He busts down the door, celebration, going crazy. The gold dust, dust settles, right? And all the heavenlies says, how are you going to bring about the kingdom? He said, I left it up, left it up to the human beings. <laughs> You're ridiculous. Didn't you know they just denied you, fled, left you at the foot of the cross? Thanks, brother. 
Left you at the foot of the cross. Apologize. Um, grace abounds, right? But isn't this crazy? Again, remember what he said in, in, in um, John 13. He wanted to show the full extent of his love all the way to the end. And the last way he did that was by saying, I bless you with joining me on this rescue mission. This act of love is me saying, go out, go forth. So don't let pride at all get in the way of thinking that he even needs an ounce of you. He doesn't need you at all. But it's in his loving, graceful, and compassionate spirit that he allows us to be a part of the work that he's always been doing. Jesus says in John 5, hey, my father has always been at work, and I too am working to this very day. We get to join him, praise the Lord for that. We get to, in his act of love, be a co-laborer with Christ. And so he sends Moses out, much like he sent the disciples out, because he wanted Moses and the people to experience the love of joining him in the mission of rescuing people. I love in this commission, again, that we, that we see in these four verses, that um, it's a reflection. It mirrors the Great Commission so much. Think about this. The Great Commission has the same three things. The Great Commission found in Matthew 28, God's motive. It says, Jesus says in Matthew 28, in the Great Commission, all authority has been given to me on heaven and on earth. So his motive is, there's been authority given to me. I want to extend this love. This authority has been given. I'm extending it. This is the motive of Jesus Christ. God's purpose, to see all people discipled and to be, and to be obeying him. We see that in the Great Commission. And finally, in God's plan, his plan is the church. So we see the commission here in Exodus reflects so much of what is given 2,000 plus years later with Jesus Christ in the church. And here's what I love above all else. Above all else that we see in this commission in Exodus and in Matthew 28 is in verse 12 in Exodus 3. And God says this, I will be with you. We're not left to do it by ourselves. And praise the Lord for that. Because if it were up to me, I'd fail time and time and time again. It says the same thing in Matthew 28. I will be with you to the end of the age. So we have this, this commission. It's paired with this promised assurance that we see in verse 12. How beautiful is that? And how beautiful that we get to join in with God on this mission, knowing that he will be with us as we do so. Let's go on in text. Verse 11. But Moses said to God, who am I? Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? If we were to jump ahead in chapter 4, verse 10, Moses goes into more detail as to why he thinks this question of who am I? I'm sure there's many things, but this is one of the things he highlights. It says, pardon your servant, Lord. I've never been eloquent. Neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I'm slow of speech and tongue. I really hesitated to even sharing this because I didn't want this to be about me at all. And what I'm sharing is not about me at all. I give God all the glory and praise. I can truly identify with Moses. And I've only shared this with a handful of people, uh, specifically my home group or the people that know this. It is really hard for me to formulate 
what is in my mind and put it into words. And I remember 16 years ago when I gave my life over to Christ, someone asked me to speak in front of a, demo, a, front of a crowd, a demographic that made me super uncomfortable. And I already had this fear and trepidation and this weakness that I believed in so much that God could not use me because of my incapability to, to speak well, to take what I'm thinking in my head and actually put it into words. And 16 years later, God continues to give me opportunities to speak. I'm up here today. And I give, I, that's no praise to me. And I know, man, I'm not the best teacher that Awaken has. Chris is incredible. We're blessed with this incredible teacher in Chris. And there's, that, there's countless other people in this congregation that are gifted with this ability to teach and to break down the word. But God, for whatever reason, has given me this opportunity. And in my weakness, I've been able to see his power rest upon me. It's amazing that anything clear comes out of my mouth. I, I'm serious. And so I can identify with what Moses is thinking. And I'm sure at some level you can identify with him too. Maybe not in the same way. But you too are saying, who am I? Why in the world would you use me, a broken sinner, to be an ambassador for the kingdom? Why? I think we all can identify with this. I wonder too, this may be out there a little bit. I do wonder if Christ in his humanity felt that at times. We know that according to Hebrews 4, 15 and 16, that we have a high priest who's able to sympathize with all of our weaknesses, all of our inadequacies, all of our failures, right? He can identify with those, those weaknesses. And I wonder if in his humanity, he wondered at times, why me? We even know that in the Garden of Gethsemane, him sweating blood, he said, take this cup away from me. This is too much. Why have you sent me? He even tells the disciples in that moment, hey, this, 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 the, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is so weak. And that's in regard to either praying or, or, or falling asleep. He's telling his disciples, hey, I would just want you to stay awake and pray. But he says, hey, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is so weak. So if he's saying that, how much more true of it, of, of Moses going before Pharaoh and Jesus before the cross? Jesus can identify with us when we say, why me? Who am I? I think he can speak to that in his humanity. Let's go on, though. Verse 12. And God said, again, I will be with you. And this will be a sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses said to God in verse 13, Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, What is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, Tell him it was a bush. No, I'm just kidding. That's not what I said. Wouldn't it be hilarious if that's what he said? Dude, tell him it was the barberry bush down the street that told you to. Like, what the... That doesn't make sense, right? <laughs> what is his name then? What shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. I don't believe that this I am moment was for Pharaoh. It wasn't so Moses could deliver this message of I am so that Pharaoh could be convinced that this is the God that we should worship as opposed to the hundreds of other gods that we worship in Egypt. I don't believe that this was meant for Pharaoh. I believe that this was meant 
for Moses. I think it was to free him from the slavery of distracted thinking. And him thinking that he is incapable as opposed to him being fully capable. I'm not sure anyone can fully understand or can fully speak to what this means. I am who I am. I don't know if anyone can fully explain what that means. There's a little bit of mystery to it. But it does have a feel, as we look at the text, to be there, this, this, this concept of completeness or all-encompassing, all-consuming. And here's what comes to mind when I hear these words in Exodus 3, and I think we're familiar with this passage in Romans eleven thirty six, where it says, For from him and through him and in him are all things. We've heard that, right? For from him and through him and in him are all things. Meaning, he, God, should be central in your life, central in your relationships, in your marriage, in your job, your decisions, your thinking, your ministry, and your purpose. He should be central to all those things. And I would venture to claim that a big piece of what God is telling Moses here in Exodus 3 is that the most important thing about this mission is God himself. It's him. And so may our eyes be fixed on him. Again, it is easy to think that I am this or I am that or I am not this or I am not that. But he is graciously saying, stop it. I am the great I am. I am faithful to fulfill what I have promised, and I will be with you till the end of the age. It's not about you. It's about me. And so may you have a central focus on the great I am, that being God. May you not be distracted by your failures, your inconsistencies, your weaknesses, your sin, your depravity. But may we be focused on the God Almighty, the great I am. He is Faithful to do what he has promised. So next time we find ourselves focused on things other than him, may we have a big butt. And here's what I mean by that. That it's, it's as simple as this. I'm going to list off a handful of things. And I think it can be as simple as this, of, of us pausing in the moment of this mindset, this thinking to say, I fear, but God is fill in the blank. I am broken, but God is. I am a sinner, but God is. I am weak, but God is. I am inadequate, but God is. I am unaware, but God is. When we find ourselves in these moments where we are saying, I am, who am I? I am just May we say, but God is, and may we fill in the blank. In order to do so, we got to be people of the word of God that can remind us the promises of God, that can speak to where it is that we feel weak and inadequate and unworthy and broken, because God is the great I am. He should be central to the way that we think and the way that we live our lives. Too often, we enslave ourselves by our inadequacies and obstacles and inabilities. We're going to end with verse 15 here. Kimball, you can come on up. 
once again, God said to Moses, say to the God, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. The name you shall call me from generation to generation. He again is reminding him of the Abrahamic covenant. He is saying, for he who is promised is faithful. For he who is promised is faithful. For he who is promised is faithful. God has a commission for us. And he's sending us out. He's ascending God. And he wants you to join in on that. And he's saying, I will be with you till the end of the age. And the thousands of, thousands of other promises that come alongside of that. He is faithful to do what he has promised. And he wants to use you. I want to take, I just want you to take in closing two minutes in prayer. And just God, ask God that he would remind you of the promises that you need to hear right now. And maybe it's you even flipping through the text, flipping through the Bible. What is it that you need to be reminded of tonight? To speak to what it is that you are wrestling through and struggling with. So take two minutes to do so. I just want to share a few. You can keep praying, keep thinking, keep, keep flipping through the text. I just want to share a few with you out of multiple ones that I have to be reminded of, that I've hidden in my heart. 2 Corinthians 12, 9, 10, it's a familiar one. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and difficulties. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. Oftentimes I have to remind myself of Proverbs 29, 25, where it says, Fear of man will prove to be a snare, but those who trust in the Lord will be kept safe. Is that a promise you need to hear tonight? Again, Psalm 34, 18. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. James 4, 7 and 8, another one that I need to be reminded of. Submit yourself to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. James 1, 2 through 4, verses I have to, I have to, sh- I have to speak to myself often in the midst of trials and hardships. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever I face trials of many kinds, because you know the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its good work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Is that a promise you need to hear? I don't know what it is for you, I don't know what it is for y'all, but I encourage y'all that in these moments where you ask, you're asking yourself, who am I? Who am I? Go to the text. See all the promises that God gives us and believe and recognize that he who promised is faithful. Amen. Let me pray.
God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for how alive and active it is. Lord, I thank you for the truth that we can draw from Exodus 3. I thank you for the example of of Moses and what he sets here. Lord, I pray that we can be people that are like that, who are honest and real before God and say, who am I? But Lord, I pray that in our weakness, may you speak to who it is that you are. And may we recognize more than we ever have before that you are the great I am. Lord, may you be central to our life. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.